The scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 11 through 40. You can find it printed on page 7 of your worship folder. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, then followed the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had, women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly... There was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his, support, his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. When morning came, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported the message to Paul, saying, The magistrates sent word to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. 
But Paul replied, they have beaten us in public, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And now they are going to discharge us in secret? Certainly not. Let them come and take us themselves. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and went and asked them to leave the city. After leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home, and when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there, they departed. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Lord, I thank you this evening for this gathering of your people. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Amen. Um, well, it is good to be with you all again. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sally Steele. I'm a pastor and the co-director of City Hope. Um, and before I do anything else, I want to thank Kim, who did the reading, because I realized that was a big chunk <laughs> um, from Acts 16. is almost the entire chapter. So thank you for reading all that and all the city names and all that. Um, so over the course of the winter, um, City Church has been going through a series on friendship with the city, which is uh, part of a three-part chunk, which is friendship with God, um, and then now friendship with the city, and then we'll be moving into uh, friendship with our neighbors. So this is the last week of friendship with the city. And the idea with um, the way we approach the city is that it's not a looking down on, and it's also not a stepping away from but rather it's opening our eyes to see how God is already at work in the city and then deciding to intentionally enter into the stories, to take the risk of entering into the stories of the city. Um, and that type of risky friendship requires something of us. It requires us to, first of all, be humble, humble in receiving the gifts of the city. If we're not looking down on the city and we're not stepping away from it, then we need to be open to the idea that the city also has gifts for us. And so we need to be humble in receiving those. Friendship also requires liberating other people, seeking their liberation, even when there's the risk of personal cost. Even when there's the risk of personal cost, however small and however big, are we truly seeking the liberation of our neighbors? Um, and the third thing that this risky friendship with the city includes and requires really is to continuously opt in. Um, you can't really call someone a friend if you meet them once and then you never talk to them again. And so friendship is something that requires intention and it requires continuity. You need to keep stepping into it and continue choosing to do that. Um, these three stories in Acts 16, which is why we read so much of it, there's three individual stories in there, um, they lay out those three practices. Uh, there is humility, there's liberation, and there's the continuous choice. So first we read about the gifts of Lydia. We read about the liberation of the unnamed slave girl um, who's possessed with a demon. And then we hear about the presence that is offered to the jailer. Um, so my hope is that these stories will inspire you to stretch your understanding of friendship with the city, to stretch the ways that you engage with San Francisco or wherever you happen to live. Um, so let's start with the first story. So we have Lydia, um, and I find this to actually be one of the most interesting stories because it is a gift of receiving first from the city. 
Just as we tend to focus ourselves, or maybe I'll talk in the first person, I tend to focus myself, and I think other people tend to do that too, as the bringers of gifts. Like, oh, I come to bring something. I have something to offer. We tend to read scripture in the same way. So reading this passage, we tend to focus on Paul and Silas and their journey and what they're bringing to Philippi. But if we believe that God is already at work, then we know that God was already at work in Philippi and that Philippi itself as a city has gifts to offer Paul and Silas. So earlier in chapter 16, I didn't want to read the entire chapter to y'all, but the reason Paul even went there is that he was called by God to this particular region. So God had already orchestrated the entire encounter. And God had long been preparing Lydia. She is noted as a God worshiper, which is sometimes translated a God fearer. And it says that she heard Paul's words because the spirit moved in her. So God had already been at work in the city long before Paul and Silas and their companions showed up. And when they did show up, they soon realized how much they needed the gifts of the city. Lydia offered up her home to Paul and Silas as a safe haven in a place they hadn't been to, as a home base for their ministry. And she did it with risk. She put both her financial well-being and her social standing. So it sounds like just two things, but those are two really major things, right? Those are big ones. Your financial well-being and your social standing, she risked those both to be in friendship with Paul and Silas and their companions. We know very little about her, but it says that she's a businesswoman, purple cloth, understood generally to be a really wealthy trade or something that produces a lot of wealth. She's also described as the head of her household, which isn't typical in that time, right? The added burden of that is that her family is relying on her for their income. So financial well-being, not just for herself, but for her household and everyone who's in it. And then she goes and opens up her home to an unknown religious sect. She allows strange men to come to her home. And the consequences in her society could be really big for her. People could stop shopping with her because her reputation might be ruined. And from that, she loses business, she loses her livelihood, and then she doesn't have potentially that safety net. So she is putting a lot on the line. And we receive a gift from her risk. We receive um, an example, first of all, of what it means to uh, Willie James Jennings. I like the way he put it. He said reordering of economies, that she is willing to put her resources, her time, her money, her home, her reputation, her business, a lot of things, um, at the disposal of God's liberating movement. She saw what was possible, and she gave it all for that movement. And there is a long history of women in the scriptures and just in our own modern history of doing that for the sake of the church. And you know she's serious because at the end of Acts 16, when Paul and Silas are re released from prison, they go back to her house and she lets them in. I feel like that's a marker. That's a marker. I'll leave that at that. Um, the second gift we get, though, from Lydia is the church of the Philippians. It started in her home, and it's likely that she led that church. So what a gift that is. What would have happened if Paul and Silas had not been humble in seeing themselves as recipients of gifts from the city? Lydia's hospitality and her leadership. Are we willing to receive gifts from the city? 
or do we feel that we always need to be the ones who welcome and lead? What happens if the gift God is offering us through the city doesn't look the way we think it should? What if Paul had gone to the riverside to find people to pray, had shown up, realized that all the people there were women, mostly Gentiles, some of them independent like Lydia, and therefore defined the gender norms of their time, and he had just been like, nope, not my people, and turned and walked away. What a loss for the church. There would be an entire book of the Bible missing. What a loss for the church if he had done that. So I want us to think about who fits into our other category. What gifts are we missing out on? Who are we not seeing? And speaking of people who don't fit into our molds, um, let's enter to the next story, the unnamed slave girl. Um, And I know it can be a little bit of a jarring transition to go from Lydia, businesswoman, to there's this girl possessed by a demon. Let's talk about that. Um, It's felt like when I was reading, I was like, what's going on now? Um, But it's really still the intersection of material resources and liberation and friendship and risk. We're still in the same place. Paul and Silas and their companions are again going to a place of prayer. And um, the story's a little confusing because I thought at first that they were just going that one time, but it says that for many days they had this girl following them, proclaiming, these men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. And Paul gets annoyed and commands the spirit to come out of her. And I kind of have to admit that I was like, I can see how that's annoying, but wasn't she kind of helping you out? Like, you know, wasn't she, one, showing that even the demons know that Jesus is Lord, and two, free advertising? Like, is that that okay? And then I realized, oh my gosh, am I really putting her utility over her personhood? Is she useful, and is that all I can see in her? And then I started thinking about the ways we do that in our own society, right? We love the stores that are open 24 hours a day. Is that the personhood of the the workers there? Is that being uplifted? And yes, I've done Christmas shopping at Target on Christmas Eve while simultaneously thinking those people should be home with their families. Right, so I I live in that. I live in that tension. I make those mistakes. I'm not pointing at y'all. I'm pointing at myself, and I'm saying, we as a society have created these systems that look at the utility of the person over their personhood, and we do it in little ways, and we do it in big ways, and we expect people to always be there for us in a utilitarian way. Um, And it shows that that has soaked into our society because that's how I read scripture. I was like, oh, she's kind of being useful. But Paul's goal wasn't merely to proclaim the gospel. His goal was to enact it. If they had been happy with a demon helping them with their marketing and communications plan, then their message is not one worth following. And this time, the risk of friendship was Paul's and Silas's to take. They knew that messing with someone's source of income would lead to trouble. They could have just walked away. They could have found another path to their prayer place. They could have gone around her. They could have sent her away. They could have talked to her owners. But instead, even if it was out of annoyance, they cast out the demon. They risked the repercussions for the liberation of this girl that they didn't even know. And that is what friendship with the city looks like. 
It means risking something to facilitate someone else's liberation. And so my question to us is, what are we willing to risk? And I know I'm throwing out a lot of questions, and no, I'm not answering them, because they're different for each of us. So what does it look for you in your own place, in your own work environment, in your own um, commuting route, in your own home? What does it look like to risk something for the liberation of others? Um, Paul and Silas ended up flogged and imprisoned. Bar really high. Um, They chose to put her humanity before their need to make nice with those in power or to preserve the income of her owners. Her own, she wasn't upset that she got released from the demon. Her owners lost their income, and that's what landed them in jail. And it's in jail that we hit this third story. And it's an interesting one because, again, we see the ways that God is at work in places we um, haven't stepped into yet. So before Paul and Silas got to the jail, God was there. And I know that to be true, yes, because Scripture says so, but also because of all the times I've walked into the San Francisco County Jail and found God waiting. Because he is there and he is moving, and we see it in this story Paul and Silas arrive there and God moves them to pray and sing so loudly that it says everyone was listening. Everyone could hear God's praise. And when the earthquake came and shook the jail, it was not just Paul and Silas who were freed. It says everyone's chains were released. And yet God still wasn't done because the person who didn't appear to be imprisoned also needed to be set free. The jailer, the jailer, the agent of the oppressive empire of Rome, the jailer himself was not liberated. He may not have had physical chains, but when he saw that he was going to get in trouble for a job not well done, his one job was to keep Paul and Silas in chains and they'd been released, he was going to kill himself. Imagine what the consequences must have been if that was his first default reaction. He himself needed liberation. And Paul and Silas chose to enter into his story, to see him as a person and not as the problem. They offered him his life in exchange for their freedom. They offered him his life in exchange for their freedom by not leaving the cell. And the jailer, he saw that friendship and he asked, what do I need to do to be saved? That's what he saw. He saw their friendship, and you have to look at their story through his eyes. He probably knew why they were there in the first, yeah, why they were there in the first place. Um, That they risked imprisonment in order to free someone from demonic possession. He probably guessed that they didn't know this girl. So he knew a little bit of their story. He saw them and heard them come in and pray and sing. He saw the earthquake, and yet he saw that they did for him the same thing that they had done for the slave girl. They once again risked their life and freedom for someone they did not know, and this time for the jailer himself. His salvation then required for him to enter into a risky friendship too. The harm he faced from helping Paul and Silas was potentially the same as the one he would have faced if they had escaped. But this time he was choosing to put himself in that same position. If they had left he would have possibly been tortured and killed, so he was going to kill himself. And this time he was like, I'll help you leave. I mean, span of minutes, it feels like. He saw something. 
He saw the way that they saw him and was like, oh, is that the God you serve? What must I do to be saved? And we have to make that choice too. What does a risky friendship with the city look like for us? I'm not going to answer it for you. What does a risky friendship with the city look like for us? I really honestly do think it's different for all of us in this room. So I'm going to lay out a few questions. Um, and I'm going to ask you that, maybe even close your eyes as I read them, and just see if there's one of them that settles on your heart. One of them that you feel that God might be calling you to step into further. The first one is, how do we engage in receiving gifts from the city, like the one offered through Lydia? How do we accept the generosity and the leadership of others when it comes from places we don't expect? How do we actively seek the liberation of those who are oppressed, like Paul did for the demon-possessed girl, even when we or those around us benefit from their oppression? What are we willing to give up in order for that to happen? And lastly, how do we, like Paul and Silas and the jailer and Lydia, intentionally engage in the risks of friendship, knowing that the liberating God is seeking our freedom and the freedom of everyone around us? The freedom of everyone around us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you with humble hearts, with eyes wanting to see, with ears wanting to hear. Open our hearts, Lord. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our minds to what you have right in front of us. Help us to look at the city and see the ways your spirit is moving through it, the way you are already present in so many people's lives, those who recognize you and those who don't, in systems that are oppressive and those who are working for people's liberation. You are present, and therefore we are never alone. Lord, help us to believe in this. Help us to trust in it. Help us to join the work you are doing. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be true. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.